Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Write or Die show. I am your host, Randy Lebozois. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Kaylee Roberts. Welcome, Kaylee. Super excited to have you on the show. So excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So first off, just tell us a little bit about who Kaylee is. <laughs> um, well, to begin at the very beginning, I grew up in a really, really small town uh, on the coast of Connecticut, and it's very much like blue collar, beachy, um, re- yeah, really like nice and just surrounded by hard workers. And, um, you know, I, I write about this in my book, which we'll get into, but I grew up in a family of a lot of women. Um, we were always surrounded by women, which was such a blessing. Everyone lived within a mile of each other. Like we're talking riding bikes to each other's house, walking. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I grew up really around this constant evolving female conversation between my mom and her sister and my, her mother-in-law and my grandma. Um, and they would just, they would sit on the front porch and they like, the ocean breeze would be wafting up the street. Um, and, you know, one of my earliest memories is being four years old even and laying on the porch, just listening, having no idea what they were talking about, but loving the way that they spoke it was so honest it was so connective um sweet yeah so that was kind of my that's where I came from and then I I channeled that into you know after growing up listening to so many stories I don't think there was much of an option other than to become a storyteller (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so I, I published my first book in May um which is a collection of female stories. Um, and then I work in documentary, uh, TV by day. So. Oh, also that is so cool. Yes. Thank you. Thank so you. What have you done? Any documentaries that people might've heard of? Like, are they popular ones or got to look hard? Um, well, the one that just came out last month, uh, I work with this woman, Erin Lee Carr. She's an amazing, amazing feminist director. Um, she's so successful and she's like 33. So she just put out this film that I worked on with her, Britney vs. Spears on Netflix. Okay. <laughs> and you worked on that. Yeah. Wow. That's Did you watch it? Cool. I no, I didn't. <laughs> but it is so cool that like you're probably like the most famous you type person I've had on the show. Oh. <laughs> it's so exciting. So exciting. Yeah, no, you should, I mean, watch the film when you get the chance. We'll, we'll have another episode about it. <laughs> yeah. And if anybody has already watched it, put some comments down below. Let us know what you think of it. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with that story for sure. Oh, I believe sure it. Sure you I know. I, yeah. I don't follow like all of that drama intensely, but I definitely have seen stuff about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's hard. To, it's hard to not see stuff about it these days. And it was quite, quite the experience putting the documentary together this summer, as a different like news article was dropping literally every day, yeah, <laughs> um, about, or every week um, about you know an update in her legal yeah. situation and everything. But we're on track. She's she's on track to be where she wants to be now. So that's exciting. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's important because even though that you know, people look at her and, oh, she's this rich, famous person. She's got issues like everybody else and oh, needs understanding like everybody else. Yeah. So and, you know, I know people. you, exactly. And I know you, you like to talk about mental health on here. And I will say that, you know, Brittany's story is such a prime example of what it's like to have the same mental health struggles as anyone, as all of us, I believe, yeah. um, but go, go through it under such a 
microscope, you know, like such a lens, like ever, all of us were looking at her all the time. Yeah. Well, exactly. It's so different when you're this giant celebrity that people watch your every move and you're really just not allowed to be human, which yeah. is insane to me because we all make mistakes. We all, like you said, so many of us have mental health struggles right. and yet we just live our lives every day. <laughs> like, do you think, people. do you think that mental health struggles are you know, kind of an inherent part of being human at some point in your life? That is a good question. I've never been asked <laughs> not, that. Not to turn it on you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine with me. Um, I think that we all are susceptible to it. And mm. because some mental health issues we're born with, some of us are born with like a different mm. chemical imbalance, but some mm. of them like PTSD and things like that, those are mm-hmm. traumas we've went through. So mm-hmm. I think everybody has a susceptibility to it. And every life is different. So a lot of us, I think a lot of us will go through it at some point, but I don't like to talk in absolutes. So I won't totally, totally, totally. No, I agree with you. And I think it's, it's really about like, you know, even if you haven't had a mental health struggle, like being able to empathize that someday you might, or, you know, exactly. Knowing that that's a possibility. Yeah. yeah. And even though I don't like to talk in absolutes, I will say this as an absolute, I think everybody knows at least one person that has had it I will say absolutely everyone is affected by mental health whether it's directly or indirectly yeah completely and you know not to segue into the topic of my book but um it's about sexual violence and I don't know if you've heard the statistic um that one in five women has been raped and really what that means for us is to talk in an absolute um, that I obviously can't guarantee, but I'm 99.9% sure of, we all know someone who has experienced yeah. sexual violence um, or sexual harassment, sexual abuse, rape. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of what, like as a woman who grew up listening to these female stories, knowing I wanted to tell stories about something feminist, um, you know, I think there wasn't a more important place to start than with that issue. If one in five women is experiencing it. It is. That is, it is. And that's just the statistics we know about. There are so many people that either A, don't report it because they're scared to, or B, don't believe that it's happened to them. Yeah. And some people might, you know, yell and scream at me going, well, how would you not know if it actually happened to you? Because sometimes you are put in a position where you think or you feel like I have to do this even though deep down I don't actually want to but I don't know how to stop it yeah that's still in a position of being sexually assaulted completely and you know you bring up such a good point because I think we've made so many you know this me too movement that's happening right now and time's up and everything I think more than anything that has made a lot of progress on educating people about what exactly is sexual assault, what is harassment, what do you, like, what should you not put up with? Like, I think now, maybe more than ever before, people are aware of, and obviously so many people are still learning and don't know, like, these resources don't reach everyone, but I do think as a society, we've come a long way in identifying what is inappropriate behavior, Um, but the other half of that, which you touched on, is you know, we don't have an accurate statistic also because we don't know who's not reporting. And literally my book, I have it right here, is called Unreported. 
Okay, oh, so like because some of us don't actually get to see, hold it back up, hold it back up. Okay. I want you to describe the cover because I really like it. I feel like it's catchy. So it's unreported is like unreported, which is kind of cool because it is such a like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Segmented kind of issue with sexual assault, mm -hmm. right? We have female, we have male, we have the um, people who are reporting, people who are not reporting. So there's a lot of segments of it. So it's cool that the title, and I don't know if that was intentional, but the title is segmented. That, that is now intentional. <laughs> you, you could totally use that, pretend like it was the whole time. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all red, except it has these darker red lines that kind mm -hmm. of go through. And at first you look and you just go, oh, that's kind of neat. But then when you look a little deeper, it's like two faces looking mm -hmm. at each other. Mm -hmm. So I just think there's a lot there that even you maybe didn't realize when somebody else looks at it and goes, oh, wow, there's, there's a lot more components to that. You know, I really appreciate you. And I know you're a creative person too. It is so awesome to hear you break down the creative process behind this in real time. Um, that was uh, my first time hearing that. And that was exciting. Oh, yeah. Good. The faces are the faces you, I, we tried to make them, you can't tell if they're speaking or not, you know, or if they're yeah. about to speak or if they're just looking at each other. So that's intentionally vague. Yeah. One of them actually looks more male and one of them looks more female, I think just from the outline. Um, so yeah, we weren't sure where to go with that either. So there's a lot of different ways to to read interpret it. it yeah yeah that's, yeah. that's really cool because most most covers are very cut and dried this is what it is but there's a lot there on yours that um just artistically speaking is very interesting and intriguing thank that's you i appreciate that i worked with a really amazing young female graphic designer um okay. who's actually based out of i think germany yeah oh, it was cool. it was really fun i My love that we can like all around the world like go back I know it's so exciting because where are you right now? I'm in Canada. Canada. Yep. I'm in New York. So yeah. Oh, so we're actually kind of close because I'm like the border of Buffalo. So yes, definitely. Definitely. So you're uh, one of the closest people that I've interviewed. <laughs> I was going to say that too. I've been talking about the book on a bunch of podcasts and there's so many people in like London or like, you know, Ireland. Yeah. yeah it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's very cool. So enough about that let's get into mental health yes, <laughs> although yeah. not that we have not that we've been avoiding it because you know sexual assault can lead to a lot of issues when it comes to your mental health right. um so just take us to whatever point in your story you want to start yeah so you know I think that my book is a lot about healing um it's about how do you heal when there's not a system that you can report into? Because I think inherently part of healing from any, any crime, like any injustice is seeking justice, right? Like I think if no matter what happens to you, your car is robbed, anything like that, part of getting over that violation is knowing that there are systems in place to protect you for the next time. And, um, you know, using those systems to feel protected Again. When we grow up as kids, we're taught that there are consequences to our actions, right? So then as an adult, that's what you're expecting. You're expecting there to be some kind of consequence, justice, for mm -hmm. the actions that that person did against you. Right. And you're expecting that law enforcement is in place to then, you know, help those consequences come to fruition. And yeah, so I mean, I, I experienced sexual assault in college. Um, 
and experienced firsthand kind of the internal debate of, I really would like to report, um, but for X, Y, Z reasons, so many different reasons, it just wasn't, um, you know, on the table. And then the headline reason was that the reporting system doesn't work. I mean, truly there are so many statistics, excuse me, that, um, that just show that the amount of rapes that are reported that are never persecuted, you know, it's, it's just so rare for someone to end up with any type of punishment, um, as a perpetrator. Yeah. The system re-victimizes the victim already, right? Like you're already going through this horrible issue that that happened to you. You, you weren't like, Hey, let's do this. No, it happened to you. Right. Right. And now the system puts you through the ringer trying to determine if what you're saying is true, if it's accurate, if uh, maybe you changed your mind after it happened and digging into your background. And that's just not okay. Like once you've already been the victim, you should not have to go through all of that and be re-victimized again because then people don't want to report it. Exactly. You don't want to relive your trauma, but then even on another level also, you know, so much of sexual violence is about losing loss of control and um you know that that is just inherently what it is at its base level is someone taking over this really important control your control over your body away from you and so as the reporting system is set up now you also lose control again your re-victim re-victimization is the way to put it um but yeah even just not having the choice of how do i want to persecute do I want to take this to trial or not? Do I want this to blow up or not? Who do I want to know about this? You know, do I, There, the choice is so simple as, do I want law enforcement to know it's me reporting? You know, like yeah. there are some models for how to solve this of, of new ways of reporting where they allow anonymous reporting, which I think is genius. Yeah. Because obviously if you report anonymously, right? It limits how much law enforcement can, pursue it right because they don't they don't know you like they don't know if you're but let's say there's a situation where let's say a college campus the same guy or person because you know this can happen intergender like either gender um but yeah so let's say the same person is reported by seven different people for being a sexual assailant and it's all anonymous reporting but like maybe then law enforcement starts looking into it like sounds like exactly maybe that person's a predator so yeah I don't know um I guess like in the book though what I talk about mostly is we touch on these ideas for new reporting systems and everything but one reason I really was excited to talk to you and be on your podcast is it's about mental health because changing a system like that is such a big task like that is going to take us so long, unfortunately. Yeah. And so in the meantime, you know, this is still happening to one in five women. What do we do with, you know, how do we heal in the meantime? Um, and for me, I think the conclusion I came to is really it's just talking to each other. Um, and that's what a lot of these stories, you know, I spoke to, I interviewed about 15 different people who were assaulted and didn't report and asked them, you know, I don't want to know details of your assault unless you want to tell me I don't need to know that I I believe you you know start by believing is a big thing that we say in this space um and yeah almost all of them I was really asking about their healing process how they got to where they're at today how they got feel like over it or a little bit closer to being over it 
And really what they said was finding community and talking to friends, talking to family eventually. And that's very similar to many different kinds of mental health, right? It's about finding the people that can understand what you're going through so that you don't feel all alone. Um, Actually, just last night, somebody said to me, um, and I I TikToked this as my grateful for things today. (laughs) And uh, they said to me, I really appreciate all the episodes that you do. I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember the exact word. Okay. But, you know, we love really appre- yeah, I really appreciate all of the episodes that you do. You know, I listen to every single one and it's really helping me. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, that's, mm-hmm. that makes my heart so full. <laughs> so full. And what more meaningful work could you be doing? Honestly, like, congratulations. That's, that's really, that's special. I mean, that's what I think we're all trying to do. And definitely since the books come out uh, like four months ago you know the best part has been it's very sad but um, you know people at book signings and stuff have come up to me and just one woman came up to me with tears in her eyes and was like I'm here on behalf of my daughter um yeah and said you know she wasn't ready to come but uh yeah and it's just it's it's beautiful to know that even though we do experience these this pain and mental health struggles always a type of pain so you do experience that pain on your own to some degree it's so beautiful to remember that all pain is shared to some degree and um you know and really like any experience that you have is not singular other people feel the same way and can relate and you you really aren't alone exactly so let's go back to and you can obviously decide how much you want to share, um, sure. but let's go back to after the assault happened to you. What were you, we don't need to know what happened, but what were you feeling afterwards, the mental side of it? Yeah. I mean, I think as you so rightly pointed out, the first step is being like, what happened? <laughs> what was that? You know, uh, was that what I think it was? Um, putting a word to it eventually. Um Yeah, I think that was the first barrier. And then, you know, I started slowly talking to my friends um, more and more. And I think what a lot of people deal with with sexual assault uh, that I definitely did is the shame. Um, I had, I walked around for an entire summer with this really deep rooted shame of, so it sounds cliche, but it is true. What did I do to make that happen? What was I wearing? Like, what did I consent to that might have made him think that that was okay? Um, And I've definitely heard, especially when the the Me Too movement was like really picking up steam at the beginning of it, there's so many people coming out going, well, you know, some uh, so many girls, they play coy and they say no, but really they mean yes. And it's like, I... some people are going to hate me for this, but I do know people from back in my high school days that they did, they, they, you know, their flirting was like, no, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how do you distinguish that? And not that you did anything wrong. Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying, but no, no, I'm with you. We need to take back our power and our voices to be able to say no and mean no and say yes and mean yes. Um, And that's, that's a whole shift in society of how flirting was, I don't know if it's really taught, but like seen on TV, right? Like that, that's where it's coming from. It's coming from these TV shows, really, that you're, these girls are, you know, playing hard to get. That's what 
uh, I remember right. when I'd watch teenage shows, right? Oh, they're just playing hard to get. And that was right. the thing. Well, no. When, when somebody <laughs> says no, they're not playing hard to get, they mean no. They don't actually want it. <laughs> they don't want to be gotten. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I think it's a very much a byproduct of um, toxic masculinity that there is even the concept ever that, oh, a woman says no, but really she still wants you. Like, just try harder or just, you know, do this yeah. or, yeah, yeah, be more and pushy, you, which. And you mentioned the whole, um, what did I wear thing? And that's always a huge point that people make. Oh, well, she was wearing a mini skirt or whatever. Well, guess what? When I dress and like, I'm married now. When I dress up, I'm not even dressing up for my husband. I'm dressing up literally just for me. Like I don't dress up for anybody but myself. So if I wanted to wear a mini skirt, I'm not doing it to flirt with somebody. I'm doing it because I want to. I mean, so at the end of the day, flirting, not consent. Wearing a mini skirt, not consent. The only consent is an actual yes. You know what I mean? And also not for nothing, but when you give that consent and it's asked for, like that can be very sexy and like very fun. Um, so- and another important point I think that we need to point out is you can say yes and later decide no, right? Oh, like yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying oh, yeah. you're, if you're in the middle of, you know, that part, it's a little bit harder. You can still <laughs> say no when you need to stop at that time. But like, for sure. if you're saying yes, okay, let's make out. That's what you've said yes to. Right. 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 You haven't right. said yes, you can put your hand up my shirt. Yes. Every, every phase requires consent. And, you know, I think there's a lot about, there's a lot about like teaching people this there's, I know tons of college seminars happening now. I think it's basically part of freshman orientation to do a seminar on consent. Um, and I do think that's working and I do, I do believe in that, but I, again, it needs to happen at a young age too. I know. And I actually think that the way our country shies away from teaching sex ed in schools is part of the issue. Cause yeah. imagine if we just taught that from the get-go and then also talked about consent, I mean, it would be, you know, inextricable, inextricable. but I do want to go back to, you know, what we were talking about yeah. just in terms of mental health and healing. Um, cause I could talk about, you know, how angry <laughs> I am about lack of consent education and statistics and the yes. reporting system forever. But, yes. But I did want to make sure that people were aware of those those very, very important issues. So important. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so we were talking about taking on shame as, um, and in the book, I I say, you know, I don't use the word victim or survivor because to me, victim is a little too powerless and survivor also implies this finality of like, I'm done. I'm done healing. Like, so neither of them quite fit for me, but I'm going to use the word, uh, survivor, right. Just on this podcast, just to make it simple. Um, so yeah, like I think as a survivor of sexual assault, the first thing you do is put the shame on yourself. Right. And you walk around with that, you question yourself. Then the next thing you do is you not talking absolutes, but I think a common theme is people start feeling nervous that other people will shame them when they hear their story. And that is a huge issue because often law enforcement does put shame on the person reporting. So it's just such a barrier to entry. I mean, I remember feeling, you know, nervous to tell my parents, nervous to tell my best friends, because I was like, are they going to ask what I was wearing? You know, are they going to ask how much I had to drink? And then, 
it would be this shame cycle. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, the best thing we can all remember is a be brave to tell your story because when you are accepted by someone and they don't put that shame back on you and they actually absolve you of that shame and just sit with you and say, it wasn't your fault. This was wrong. One in five, it's statistic. Like there was a chance this was going to happen to you always, unfortunately. That is so powerful in a healing process. Um, And then as, as people who are potentially could be approached with these issues, it's good for us to remember also, you know, don't put shame on that person. Don't ask what they were wearing. Don't even slightly imply that it could have been anything more than just like a random thing that happened. Exactly. And along that line too, is don't push them to report if they're not ready to. And as much as you might want to, because they're your friend or family and you want, again, that going back to that, you want justice, you want the consequence. You can't make that decision for somebody else. You can be there for them say, Hey, if you want me to go with you when you're ready, then do that. But don't, don't push them to make them feel bad that if they're not ready to do it. Right. It's Um, about giving them the control back. It's about saying you take control of this situation. You know, you just had a lot taken from you. What do you want to do next? And I think that, yeah, sitting with someone in that is so powerful. So what is it that you did next? You went through this shame cycle. Eventually it sounds like you told friends and family. What was the next step for you? Yeah, actually the next step, uh, it's people's favorite part of the book. Cause I tell, I tell all these other people's stories, but mine is like the narrative thread that kind of goes through. Um, the next step is dating again. (laughs) You know what? It didn't even cross my mind that that would be an actual step, but Um, yeah, it is because you said it, you know, you're not really trusting other people right away because are they going to do the same thing? So that makes total logical sense. It just never dawned on me before. It's, it's a fun one. It's a, it was a fun one to write about. Um, and just to like track through my life. I still, I still track it now that the books come out, it's a little different, but, um, you know, I write about, and I, when I spoke to the other woman who I interviewed, they largely agreed. Um, you know, when you tell someone your story, how they react becomes a part of like, you know, when you're dating someone, you're evaluating them on so many different things, right? Like, do our personalities mesh in this way? Like, do I like how they, you know, treat the waiter or whatever, Um, that type of thing. And yeah, I think it becomes a part of it. Like, okay, do I like how they reacted to this trauma that I'm telling? Like, does that feel like they're seeing me? Um, Does it feel like genuine and safe for me? so yeah, I mean, I, I definitely got a, a slew of different reactions, yeah. <laughs> but the people So how that... did you get back into the world of dating? Um, it took a while. And at first it was like, I was consistently shocked that um, people were like treating me so nicely and respectfully, which is, is sad. And, you know, I was 19, so it was definitely a formative time in life and just grappling with a lot of things about growing up and having adult or more adult relationships with men. Um, yeah. And then this friend that I'd had for a while was just really kind to me. And we had like summer crushes on each other and it was just very innocent. And, um, I think just restoring that innocence to relationships was really powerful and helpful, you know, going really, really slow, like to, taking a lot of joy in just riding bikes together or 
you know, kissing, <laughs> going to yeah. the beach at night. Uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend having as storybook romance as possible of a relationship. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you can. But um, but it's always a process, and I, I'm still I'm still going through the process. I mean, since the books come out, um, men have had the strongest reactions. Uh, they they are the ones who say it's hard to read. Um, or, you know, painful or difficult. And yeah, a lot of women read it and they're like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, this is exactly how I feel. This feels like yeah. the conversations I have with my friends, but for men, they're just not in general, generalizing, but yeah. in general, they're just not privy to these conversations in the same way. And so, a lot of them have even said to me, I didn't realize this was yeah. happening like this. And I think that's part of the problem is that they don't realize it's happening. And that is right. why, again, it's taking back power, taking back our voices. Yeah. And we have to talk about it because if they don't know that it's happening, if they just think guys don't do that, right? Cause I don't do that. So guys don't do that in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a problem because it does happen. Not, and again, girls can be the predator as well. Of it's course. not always male, but it is, that, those are, that's the stories we hear about. Those are the stories we hear about. It's interesting. I actually know three, and I write about this in the book too. I know three men who have been assaulted by a female. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it can really happen anyway. And I do want to say what you were talking about reminded me um, that there is some truth to people being like men being like, men don't do that because there are statistics that say that even though one in five women is being assaulted or raped, um, the amount like the number of men who are raping is much lower like it's a very small percentage it's just that because we don't have a good system for reporting and like you know um convicting these perpetrators because we don't have that the same men are just able to keep repeating yeah, this crime exactly so really it is a small i mean there's a lot of evidence that says that it's a small number of men who are just doing it over and over again yeah. kind of like a few bad actors um yeah. There's some debate about that statistic, but I, yeah, I yeah. believe it. But it, it does make sense because, I mean, if they've gotten away with it once, why wouldn't they just keep doing it? Of Which course. Quite unfortunate. And I mean, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about how they can also get away with it for such a long time because going back to what you said is their shame, they're not reporting. And then when women are, or I say women, but when the victim is ready to sure. report, because again, um, there's lots of, of males that are victims as well. Um, when they're ready to report it, the time between the incident and the report can be such a long amount that there's no evidence to do a conviction, to get the justice. It's just sort of put on, put on the books. <laughs> and it's there in case another person reports really to kind of corroborate that, yes, this person is not good, but right. without evidence, there's no yeah do. and the likelihood that one person will report is so low sexual assault's the most underreported crime it's 70 on the low end 75% of assaults go unreported on the high end it's like there are some statistics that say 95 to 98% of sexual violence goes unreported um so the likelihood that you'd get multiple people reporting the same perpetrator is so low and then even if they did even if someone was reported and they went through the whole like the whole system, the whole rigmarole, chances are based in evidence, in fact, 
that they will not have a consequence anyway. Like yeah. our system is just not doling out consequences to perpetrators anyway. So yeah, yeah it's yeah, it's, it's a problem. The system <laughs> is the system is flawed. Um, so let's go back. So you you started dating now. What are yes. some of the other coping skills that you picked up along your way to help you deal with that? Yeah. So I, you know, big believer in therapy, loved that um, aspect of the healing process. I also moved um, West, which I think a lot of, you know, I think it's pretty common to find solace in a move to a new city that you can then own and it's yours and you have space. Exactly. So I moved to California and I, I think for each person it varies, but um, I found a lot of peace from just being in nature there, being in the ocean, by the ocean, um, having time to walk along the beach or in the mountains and just think um, and process. And again, I mean, talking to my friends, talking to other people, talking to new romantic partners, it gets easier and easier every time. And also, this is a cliche, but it's a true one. Time heals all. And with time, I was able to, um, you know, really come to the conclusion that this is a statistic. There was a chance that this was going to happen to me. And similarly, there's a chance that this is happening to one in five of my friends as well. And, you know, I anecdotally, like it is, you know, yeah. um, and that seems on the low end. So, yeah, I think the more you talk and the more you hear about people who have similar stories to yours, it'll never be the same, but similar. Um, yeah, the more the more the healing starts to come. And in, in my book, you know, the model for healing is different for all of these women that I spoke to. Yeah. But I will say the common thread is definitely having some sort of outlet, right? So some sort of creative outlet, whether even if that creative outlet is just great conversation. Yeah. Um, one woman uh, is a poet. Um, some of these women have started working in activism. So yeah, there's a lot of avenues, but I think it's about listening to your gut and and just doing things that make you feel less alone. Oh, I love that feeling less alone. That's a good point. Um, and we, we touched on it before. It's like finding your community, finding your people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So your book sounds awesome, by the way. So let's tell everybody where it is they can find a copy of it. Yeah, so you can get a copy of it at any bookstore. If you walk in and ask them for Unreported by Kaylee Roberts, it's on there. You know, they can, the back system or whatever, however books were handled, <laughs> I honestly don't know. Yep. Not Did not learn about that. But yes, it's available for order anywhere. And then also you can get it on Amazon. So I can send you the link for that. Perfect. Yes, yeah. please do, because I love to put those links into the description. And speaking of links, how do people follow you? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I my website is kayleyroberts.com, K-A-L-E-Y-R-O-B-E-R-T-S.com. Um, recently redone. So happy to send people there. And then also my Instagram uh, is kalechips, letter N, dip. <laughs> and I know it's not professional, kale chips and dip. Um, but it's become a part of my identity. So yeah. I'm, okay. But I want to know, how did you come up with that? Uh, my nickname is kale. I, I go okay. by, kale, yeah. um, to a lot of my friends and kale chips just kind of, and I love dip. I love specifically okay. and ranch. 
So it really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> I love that you also clearly love hummus and ranch. I do. And uh, guacamole. Mm, guacamole salsa. Should we just name dips back and forth now? <laughs> we, we could, although now I'm getting hungry and want to go get some chips and dip. So I think we might need to stop. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I do have hummus and guacamole in my fridge right now, though. So. I am so jealous of you. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So, okay. So you got your Instagram anywhere else that people can follow you? Um, the website, the Instagram and, uh, my emails like on both of those. So, you know, if anyone ever wants to shoot me an email, um, just to talk, I'm around to talk about a healing process or a reporting process, um, definitely available and would love to connect with anyone who feels it might be helpful. That is awesome. Um, so what is one piece of advice that you would give somebody who is listening right now who may be going, oh my goodness, I can't believe, did that really just happen? Did it not, what? Mm. Yeah, I think that the one piece of advice, um, the one piece of advice I would give is listen to your gut instinct first of all, but then more than that, don't waste time second guessing it. I think often we know, we know these things um, as people, as women, like, you know, if you were violated and you don't need to spend time giving the person the benefit of the doubt or second guessing yourself um, if you, you know, woke up the next morning and knew something had gone wrong. You know, just, just trust yourself, have, have faith in your um, like internal compass. That's awesome. Uh, so be sure to go look at the description down below because of course Kaylee's um, links are going to be down in the description below. Grab a copy of her book. Even if you're like, mm, that's not a thing that I want to read. One in five women. Therefore, you know somebody who does want this book. Mm, mm, Statistically yeah. proven your book needs to be in a lot of hands. <laughs> Unfortunately, hopefully we can change that. I would love to stop selling copies. <laughs> Exactly. Or just sell them for the, for the joy of reading and not for the importance of content. Yes, 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 yes. yes. That would be great. Thank you so much for having me. You are so fun to talk to. Thank you. Yeah, you were a great guest. I had lots of fun and uh, that was, was great. Awesome. Wow. Kaylee has such a great story. She's so inspirational. Make sure that you check out her book. Links down below in the description. Don't miss your chance to catch her book. Um, I mean, it's not going anywhere, but you don't want to forget about it either. And of course, if you want to support the show, we have a merch store and a Patreon page where sometimes you get some behind the scenes footage. As well, remember that the only way to end the stigma of mental health is to speak openly and honestly. Bye.